Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. So the cat's out of the bag. Nearpod knows what they're doing. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We'll talk about some exciting new Nearpod features, teachers becoming YouTubers, and our guest this week is EdTech coach Sam Carey. Hey, Glenn, ask me what I was doing just before <laughs> we started recording. Mike, what were you doing right before we started recording? <laughs> I was watching Harry Mack on YouTube. <laughs> I think we've had this. This is like deja vu. <laughs> For those of you that, true. that listened to last week's episode, you just, if it felt like you were listening to the episode, so it was I. I was like, huh. <laughs> but I actually was also today at some point, Mike, I have to listen to him every single day just to put a smile on my face. Um, Isn't that something? Yeah, I just love that guy. I I love the energy. I love the just what a gift. It's just and I I don't exactly comprehend it. And I said it last week that I don't get it. Like because there's something there's some like he even says it sometimes when he's rapping that he's that he he is thinking really fast. But to be able to think that well on your feet and then to mm. be able to go ahead and lyrically put the put it together like a, a poet you know um and then just be able to go ahead and just continue and then all of the uh just the wonderful merging of like not only just the it's not just words because words are just whatever but it's it's the the description it is poetry basically the description of what is he's wants to be talking about in this amazing rhyme pattern. I don't know. It's just, it's ridiculous. I, I, I think I'll be obsessed for a, a long while. <laughs> it, it's funny. Cause we're going to talk to Sam in a little bit here and, um, about content creation and about being a YouTuber basically. Yes. And I'll tell you, you know, because both of us are thinking about this quite a bit. Harry Mack is like the, the perfect storm, the perfect combination of, you know, it's 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 a unique talent. Yes. His production quality is high. Like he's got great camera, um, great, you know, video editing. It's it's not a lot. There's not a lot of video editing being done, I don't think. But um, definitely the video editing that is being done is is done well. Um, he's a he's a good looking, attractive dude. Um, and, uh, and he's super happy to just be there. Yes. You know, in doing bars for you. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and, 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 um, super thankful when people, um, mm -hmm. love what he's doing. You can see it in his face and hear it in his reactions. And I'll tell you, that's like the, the combination, um, just makes for an incredibly entertaining you know, a few minutes if you if you are having a crappy day. I, I said this on YouTube. If you're having a crappy day, you just or I said 
I said this on Twitter. If you're having a crappy day, you go watch Harry Mack. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and he'll put a smile on your face at least temporarily. Absolutely. Um, and and that's um and that's that's what's great about it. Um so we got a short podcast for everyone today, which is I mean, I'm sure people are thankful because our podcasts are normally over <laughs> over an hour and people are just waiting for us to shut up. But uh but we have oh a couple of new things. So so the the first thing is uh new stickers. Mm, um gosh. so so I just ordered I just ordered some stickers. We're also going to send some stickers to Audrey, um, and so she's going to have some stickers. We can mail you stickers. You just got to get after us somehow. Um, you know, send all the tweets to Audrey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, anyways, get after us if you want stickers. We we love our stickers. Um, the brand is strong, Glenn. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, so we got some new stickers. I Every time that I think that it can't get better because i was actually looking at the first iterations i still have some of those in my backpack um some of the, the square first stickers that, that you made you know yeah those make me and angry those now are awesome those are just <laughs> like i mean just like the original you know the design that you came up with and then just when i think it can't be outdone then you came up with the next iteration um and those were freaking amazing. Uh, the actual die cut ones. Um, the, stay, the stay awesome sticker is pretty damn yeah, good. Like the stay I, awesome I, I mean, one, everybody I'm very proud one. of it. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. And then if you guys haven't seen this, you got to go on the Twitter on, on education podcast, Twitter, and take a look, just scroll down the list a little bit and take a look at this new sticker that Mike uh, designed. And gosh, it's just sick, man. You're you have some amazing talents. Um, so I didn't think I didn't think you could outdo yourself. I was wrong. Uh, each time you come up with the new evolution of the, of the of the brand, and um, yeah, it just I I can't wait till we're at a conference. I was thinking about this, and I'm able to hand that to just to it's just these random people that walk by, you know. Yeah, and then you hand them, they're like, oh. You know, they're so thankful for whatever it might be. They put it on their laptop or whatever. Uh, exciting. And hopefully that's one day soon. All of our listeners, we can see you guys again and all of the prospective new listeners too. Yes. <laughs> and then you can you can hand them a Stay Awesome sticker and you go, hey, you stay awesome now. And <laughs> yes. they go, they go, no, 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 Glenn, Glenn, you stay awesome. You stay awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that was coming too. <laughs> so, Ooh. so you have been um, fanboying over a new oh Weezer album. I haven't actually even listened to it yet, um, but I've seen Weezer live. Um, yeah, me too, and and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh. Um, so, so tell tell us about the new Weezer. Um, so I'm a product of, in case I, I can tell you my age exactly, I was, I graduated high school in 1994. So around 1993, I want to say, 19, right around that time, my junior year, senior year, uh, is when Weezer put out their Blue album. And it, a 17-year-old Glenn was super excited about that album. And we used to play guitar and sing those songs, etc. And now... I'm age 45 <laughs> and Weezer puts out a new album and I love it uh, as much 
as I love that first album. Um, and it's because it hits these specific times perfectly. There's so mm. many amazing songs. And actually, there's a bunch of songs that I correlate specifically because, you know, I'm a teacher to teaching and education. And they may not be about that. Um, Rivers Cuomo probably didn't write specifically about that. But I don't care because it's so... Unless he did. Maybe he did. Because it's Rivers Cuomo and, you know, yeah, he does he's things just, like that. He's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so the lyrics are amazing. And, of course, the music is beautiful. Um, and it's it's different than normal Weezer albums. But it's also, in many ways, very Weezer. Um and it and it, it made it, uh, my wife and I were listening. We listened to the whole album several different times, and then we were having a conversation, which I wanted to bring up with you, Mike. It's like, which bands from the '90s are we just so surprised by their longevity? And what Weezer, of course, is is to me one of those bands. And the reason mm-hmm. why is just because if you think about it. 17 years old I was or 16 or 17 when that first album came out and now I'm 45 and between that span of time there's been many many huge hits for Weezer over all of that span the 90s the early 2000s the 2010s and then all the way up until this this album that just came out and it just blows me away that's the evolution of the band and then it could take you to this point here and then still be able to put out amazing music. What other bands, Mike, from our 90s days surprise you by their longevity? So you have one on on our, our outline that it, the Foo Fighters are amazing. Yes. Uh, they've always been amazing. I, I don't think there will ever be a time when they're not amazing. Um, so there's that one. But I, I wanted to actually give you a sleeper Okay, um, give me a sleeper. I mean that they're they're a pretty well known band, but maybe not. I, I still don't think they're as well known as they sh- should be. And, and they're one of my favorite bands. Actually, I've seen this band. Uh, I think five times live. Mm. Um, and and they've been around since the mid nineties. Mm. Believe it or not, um, multiple radio hits. Um, Switchfoot. Switchfoot, yes, you've told me about them, yeah, and I, and I mean, I've listened to a few different of their songs, but I didn't know that they've spanned that much time. So yeah, you're right. That's not even yeah. on the list. The one that surprised my wife. I was, I was playing wife, Switchfoot yeah, songs. I was playing Switchfoot songs in the band that I was in in the ni- in the late nineties, ninety eight, yeah. ninety nine. We were we were covering Switchfoot. Um, you know, dare you to move. And and something more. Um, we were covering those songs in in the '90s, and they're just about to release their their latest album um, here in a month or two. Um, mm. And it's like you know they've been around forever, man. And they're it's they're never bad, never bad. There are <laughs> albums that are better than other albums, sure. But every every Switchfoot album is is fantastic. The the one band, Mike, that I can't believe the evolution of the band and that it still exists is green day because if you are from the 90s and you you're like me and i think this was 1992 or three somewhere in there but i think it was two actually 1992 when i was a sophomore maybe even when i was a freshman 91 or 92 i can't remember which year um the album dookie just yeah 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 yeah. came out and the songs on that album are 
of course, a lot of them are very well-known songs, you know, when I come around, those kinds of things. But there's a bunch of cheese songs on there that are just like, uh, you know, on the edge of inappropriateness and just kind of, it's, it didn't feel like a band that was going to make epic albums and have songs that would be sang at graduations every single year. Um, beautiful ballads. I, I didn't see Green Day putting out some ballads where you were like, holy goodness, putting out epic songs that were like revolutionary songs, uh, talking about, uh, you know, American idiots, uh, just basically talking about the culture of, of, of current, uh, the United States. That's Green Day though. If you saw yeah. them in 1992 and you saw some of those first videos that I, I was watching, uh, and heard some of those songs, you would have never thought that they would end up where they are now. There's a, a concert that my wife and I actually bought uh, tickets for and it got canceled. Well, it didn't get canceled, it got postponed. So one day we're going to go to this concert and it has Green Day and Weezer on it on the, oh on the, line, on the lineup. Um, so at some point, it was supposed to happen last October, I think, mm. or August. I can't remember. Or August, September, October, somewhere in there in the fall. Uh, but then it got postponed and now it's pushed to you know, sometime post COVID. Um, but yeah, that's going to be an amazing thing. I, so our viewers out there, I was kind of interested if you are listening to this, throw us some bands out there. Um, that's, you can't believe the, their longevity and, and how they've evolved through time, you know, and then now they've become who they are. They're still putting out hits in 2021. It's like yeah, crazy stuff. This is insane. Hey, before we move on, did you yeah. did you listen to my curling song? I did. <laughs> I did listen to it, <laughs> and and that got quite some traction. The whole conversation about yeah. curling, yeah. I told yeah. you that people yeah. in the don't United sleep States, on curling, folks. Yeah, we we like to watch it during the winter. Lives. We don't understand anything. That whole explanation you gave, yeah. was was a new new information to me. I, I, I had no it. idea what was going on. Yeah, I had an idea in my head about what they were doing, but I didn't know any of the names or whatever it might be. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that Canadian culture to us, you know. <laughs> there it we're is. learning. We're learning a little <laughs> bit by little. <laughs> nice. So, so uh, another another new thing that happened this week, mm. and we're going to actually dig into uh, to this, this company in a little bit with Sam, too. Yes. Uh, but tell us about uh, Nearpod and annotating slides. Yeah. So one of the biggest um, drawbacks, I would call it, and one of the things that prevented many teachers from ending up using a tool like Nearpod was basically they wanted to be able to present information to their students, but then on the fly or you know, you're a math teacher or a science teacher and you're diagramming something, you want to circle things. You're an English teacher and you're uh, underlining grammatical structures or a Spanish teacher in verb endings or whatever it might be. Um, you couldn't annotate the slides. So it was very static. Um, they had a feature and they still do, obviously. They have a feature where you can create a question for the students to be able to draw, uh, which is a fan. I love that question type for students to be able to draw a response and they could obviously write out a response if you had an uh, iPad, for example, and, and you could write out a formula, for example, in math. But never on the teacher side could you do this. And so now you can annotate the slides live. So really, it's like the next evolution of the tool because teachers need that. 
you need to be able to do that impromptu and to be able to um, have a question happens in class uh, you can, or you can see the puzzled look on your students' faces and you're like, yeah, I can't just move on to slide 12 now. I got to do something else. I got to I got to adjust on the fly. That's what great, great teachers do. They see their audience, they read it. And then now I've got to adjust. You couldn't exactly yeah. adjust with a Nearpod presentation. And that was limiting. So you'd have to use other tools, you know, other things. You'd have to open up something else or whatever it might be. Don't have to do that any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, test it out on an iPad, on a uh, active board or smart board, and then also just on a you know a regular laptop or whatever it might be, and it works awesome. It works perfectly. You can annotate just like how you would think you're supposed to be with, uh, you know, a writing tool, a um, a highlighter, or you could even add text, and uh, it seamless easy to use and it's exactly kind of that missing factor but that's that's nearpod though and that's why we're going to talk about it in just a little bit with sam it if it listens to the customer and it fills in the gaps it starts oh you want us to do this cool we're going to do that we're going to be able, oh this tool does this we're going to do it or even better um so I'm, I'm super excited about it because um we use nearpod at my school but i think it'll It'll bring that many more teachers uh, into the fold and let allow them to to feel right. the power of using this kind of great tool. So the cat's out of the bag. Nearpod knows what they're doing. Yes, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> oh, yes, that's they. awesome. Uh, so we're so we're gonna so we're gonna talk about Nearpod. Talk about content creation. We're gonna talk about YouTubing with our guest this week, Sam Carey. When we come back, so stick with us. We are building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators, bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. He's averaging almost 300,000 views and 5,000 new subscribers every month on his YouTube channel, The New EdTech Classroom, which provides tips and advice for educators on how to use everything from Nearpod to Google Classroom. He's been an EdTech coach and consultant in California for over a decade, and we're excited to talk about his work, his content on the podcast. Welcome to On Education, Sam Carey. Thanks so much for having me. So, Sam, the new EdTech Classroom YouTube channel, I had actually talked to Mike about this before we even approached you. I was like, we have to, got to bring this guy on on the show because Mike and I do, you know, we talk a lot about YouTube. We talk about streaming in general. Yeah. Um, 160,000 subscribers, at least that's what I last checked. Um, Were you expecting the channel to blow up like this? And can you... Talk to us just just a bit about, you know, when it did, like, what was your reaction as as you were going through it? 
Yeah, no, I, I never expected it to blow up. It, it was always intended to be a slow burn type project, not something that would be kind of overnight sensation by any means. It coincided with remote learning. I had been mm-hmm. building a channel and putting out videos that almost no one was watching for a while. And, <laughs> <laughs> and when we went remote, I put out a video. Uh, it was actually a as talks were going on that we may be moving to this model. And so I put out a video called how to teach remotely with a Google slides hyperdoc. And Mm -hmm. that was my first video that within an hour had thousands of views on it. And my subscribership just shot through the roof. And then every video I put out after that for quite a while, uh, every video is focused specifically about some remote teaching strategy, you know, how to use Flipgrid for remote teaching or Newzella for remote teaching, Google Classroom for remote teaching and so on. And every single one of those videos was just, you know, getting tons and tons of views. And then what happened is that old videos that I had on my channel, you know, about Pear Deck and things like that, programs that I was using in the classroom also started taking off. And so it just kind of happened really last spring. And then Mm. over the summer, there was another huge surge, you know, that I attribute to teachers just needing to know how to teach in this environment. And so around July, August, there was another pretty massive explosion I had a month or two where I had something like 40,000 new subscribers per month. So it was pretty <laughs> insane. It's it's slowed down since then, but I'm still really happy with the growth. And yeah, I just, I never could have anticipated this happening and, you know, it probably wouldn't have happened this quickly had we not moved to this different model of teaching. Yeah, dude, I, I went and, I went and looked at the social blade numbers and saw that giant spike in the middle of the summer and was like, holy crap. I mean, if I could just have like a fraction of your subscribers, I'd be. Uh, So anyways, I have a ton of like content creator type questions because um, I'll tell you, both Glenn and I, like, I mean, beyond the podcasting and stuff like that, we both do streaming. We both have YouTube channels um, and, and we have actually a really kind of interested listener base of other kind of educational content creators as well i think um so there's a bunch of people we know listening to the podcast right now that are super interested in how you do it and why you do it and and getting kind of just some ideas on how to do it better so the the first thing you've already confirmed for me which is that you've been doing this for a lot longer than the one year that your channel has been gigantic is that right yeah not a lot longer though i started the channel in august of what was that what was that 2019 i've lost total track of time right now so the the fall before the spring that we went remote so i had been making videos doing a weekly video um for I guess around six months or so. So I hadn't uh, been creating content for years or anything like that. It was still a relatively new project. Nice. That's awesome. Do you think that there's a difference? I'm curious if you think that there's a difference between creating content for educators 
and everything else that you see on on YouTube. Is there a, you know, unbox like, you know, there's unboxing videos, there's let's plays. Well, I mean, frankly, there's everything on YouTube. But, you know, ed I know educators like those types of videos. I mean, I like those types of videos. But uh, I'm curious if you think that there's a secret sauce to education content specifically. Um, what do you think you're doing that, you know, got people's attention? Other than, I mean, I guess need is is definitely one thing, right? But do you think there's other things that attributed to the success? Probably. Um, when I decided to start the channel, I made the decision because I looked at the environment and I was interested in sort of putting my work out there uh, to, you know, have a future career in, in consulting or something like that. And I saw that the environment was more saturated with other media types. There were lots of books out there, for example, and there weren't a lot of people on YouTube. Now there are, there are way more people on YouTube now, uh, yeah. that, you know, just started in the last uh, year really. Yeah. But when I, decided to get onto YouTube, there really weren't that many teachers making, you know, teacher facing kind of PD style videos. And where I saw an entrance into the conversation was marrying a, a real nuts and bolts understanding of how to use programs with pedagogy, because I didn't see a lot of that. So there might be a video about how to use a program like Flipgrid, for example, but a whole lot more goes into having students record videos of themselves in a physical classroom than just learning how to use Flipgrid. You know, you have to mm -hmm. understand all mm -hmm. the planning yeah. that goes into that and even down to the level of how to organize your classroom. So if you look at early videos, you know, I have videos about how to make green screen videos with, with WeVideo, for example. And I was doing that in my class and half the video content is about all the planning that has to go into that, how you set up your classroom, you know, things like that, that are elements that I knew teachers or I, I had an inclination. I felt that if teachers had that gap filled for them, that they right. would use those programs more and that a barrier was that understanding of how to actually do it in a real way, not just how to use a program. And so I, think I think you also, Sam, I was sorry for interrupting you, but no, no the, th that you also have this way of, I've watched a lot of your videos. The beginning of the video really lays out not only the pedagogy, but the research behind and the reason why you would do the things that then you explain how to do. It's basically the merging of a lot of us as, uh, you know, I'm an instructional coach now, but I began as a tech integrationist and kind of it's evolving towards focusing on the instruction first and then the tech will fill in certain gaps, you know, as far as we can use the tech to do certain things. Um, and I really enjoy that because it's exactly what you're talking about. You you are filling this niche that I hadn't seen before. I mean, plus your videos are super professional. Mike and I like we look at a lot of different things that people are doing as far as how you how you how you're editing the videos your intros even your little intro uh to the to each one of your videos is super pro i mean it's like it it's like oh that's awesome i love the the little clips there um but anyway i i would i could see what you're talking about as far as merging that gap between instructional coaching and then uh, tech integration 
Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, the other piece is that I did as somebody who watched YouTube, I also tried to emulate some of what I saw in terms of just what made content engaging on YouTube. Right. And so I did intentionally try to YouTubeify teacher PD, you know, make it punchy, do things like have that little intro scene, you know, give people a summary snippet of key points in the beginning and then have it move at a pretty fast clip with something visual on the screen at all times. So there's an arrow, there's a highlight, there's a zoom up, something is happening that's keeping your attention. There's a transition screen. And and I learned that and became better at that and, and did that more intentionally and over time made a real concerted effort to always show everything on the screen that I was talking about, that I wouldn't ever say something without actually showing what it looked like and then started doing more things like showing the student end next to the teacher end. And I I just think for teachers, that just makes it much more tangible and actionable. And, you know, I, I, I think that's what teachers find useful about my videos. I, th- I think it's super interesting. Um, I mean, Glenn and I know a lot of other educational content creators, podcasters, um, what have you. And a lot of the the folks that that do the, um, you know, if, say it however you want, the conference circuit or whatever, you know, are, are doing similar stuff. They're they're making podcasts. They're they're doing videos. They're doing streaming. Um, and one thing I like about that whole group and us included uh, is is that we're all super passionate about the craft, um, especially the folks that that we know um, are constantly reading or watching or learning and really constantly trying to improve their practice, um, which is this this idea of content creation, sharing um, sharing information. Do you do you find yourself you're you're in the weeds a little bit as far as you know tweaking things and making things a little bit better? I mean, we were talking off camera, off off podcast a little bit about the lighting for green screens um, and how it would be my whole world to 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 get the lighting right in my green screen. Do you um um fixate on some of that minutia just like I do? I guess. Uh, a thousand percent. I mean, I, I'm borderline <laughs> obsessive about it and I've dumped endless hours into that sort of thing, especially, <laughs> you know, I'm totally yeah. self-taught. So I taught myself how to do every single aspect of what I do. And right. when I was first learning how to do video editing, I wasn't very good at it. And I would make a mistake that was incredibly costly time-wise you know, I think some of my early videos were taking me, I'm not kidding, 20 plus hours oh, you know, yeah. by the time nope. I I published them. Wow. I think we're all there. We know exactly what that's <laughs> <Wow>. like. <laughs> yeah. And and then, yeah, the lighting stuff. I mean, I, I've, I've dumped days into that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's all a learning experience. I try to learn so I don't make the same mistake over again. <laughs> so, Sam, we've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work during distance and then now a combination maybe of hybrid learning and then going back to face to face. In your opinion, we really want to know someone that's actually been exposed to the tools you're talking about them. What are, in your opinion, the top three ed tech tools that have made the biggest difference during these times? I know that's hard to, <laughs> it's a tough one to go ahead and throw onto you, but um, 
what do you think? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really going to have to come up with this on, on the fly because I always That's avoid okay. this question. <laughs> sure. <Nice>. Um, <laughs> You can just give us some. It's fine. Yeah. So it's not necessarily an endorsement of the tools, right? This is just to say these are tools that I've seen widespread um, adoption of the tools and I think will transform the way people teach in the future. Uh, So one is Nearpod. Um, Nearpod being, I call it like the Amazon of EdTech apps because they've just kind of like absorbed all the key features and, and continue to do so of <laughs> yes. all the other little boutique programs out there. Mm-hmm. And so many teachers now use Nearpod. It's like, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a teacher who has not heard of Nearpod, whereas before it was the opposite, right? Um, And what has Nearpod done? It's opened up the world of interactive lessons. Make their whole, their byline is something like make everything and make every lesson interactive. And and I'm a huge advocate for that concept. Um, And, you know, not just making your slides interactive, but also making all the content you deliver students interactive with interactive video, uh, for example. So I think they've been a major player, a major game changer. My guess is they're here to stay and they will continue to do what they're doing, you know, grabbing up all the key features of all those other programs (laughs) and incorporating it into Nearpod. Um, And, you know, their, their content integration is they just have a massive archive of, of content you can pull in. So it, it it's a one shop stop for a lot of people. Um, so I think, you know, they've had a huge impact along with Nearpod. You know, I'd say a program like Edpuzzle, which although it's doing something, well, they, they were doing it before Nearpod with interactive video. Um, I think in a similar way, that shift in mentality about, how you present content to students so that Mm -hmm. um, it's not a passive learning experience because it can't be if you're having them learn asynchronously, for example, you have to have some way to build some formative assessment into your content. And, um, you know, Edpuzzle is an amazing tool for that and a, a, you know, trailblazer in in that sense. Uh, um, Great program. Um, Third program. Gosh. Um, (laughs) This is okay. This is going to seem like a cop out, but uh, Google Classroom. (laughs) Yeah. Now. Okay. okay, The reason why I say that is because Google Classroom has also and I mean, we could expand this to any learning management system, but it's also mainstreamed the concept that you digitize your classroom. And I think that is a critical component of building a a technology integrated 21st century classroom and Google classroom, you know, although it has all kinds of shortcomings has made it so easy for people to convert their classrooms into digital environments. It's been imperative that they do that. Um, And so I think that's also something that's not going to go away and people just learn how to do that better and they're going to improve their system better. And we'll see, you know, learning management systems that hopefully are a virtual reflection of a classroom in the future. Edpuzzle is great. It's, I think, uh, I mean, we're going to ask you your opinion on this, but I think people are sleeping on Edpuzzle quite a bit. Like, 
Like the idea that, that you can, you know, take a video and chop it up into pieces and then ask questions about the video that they're watching. It, I mean, it, it changed everything when I was using it and that was a while ago, but I thought this is the, this is, this might be the coolest damn thing I've ever seen for a classroom. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. So I, I describe, uh, Nearpod as like the set menu option, whereas the other approach is the a la carte approach and the benefit of the set menus, you get everything all in one, but the downside is you don't get all the features you want. Whereas with the a la carte approach, you get to pick and choose, but it requires a little bit more effort. When I'm planning, I, you know, I would go a la carte and Edpuzzle falls into that category and it helps teachers do something that you can't do without it. And that's also where I think we should be putting our focus when we're thinking about how we use instructional technology, you know, how can we use it to achieve things that you could not achieve without technology and Edpuzzle is a perfect example of that. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate for Edpuzzle and I also understand why people want the kind of all in one inclusive program yeah. like Nearpod. Talking about your a la carte. So is there an ed tech tool that you've been exposed to now um, that, you know, as, as you've uh, helped your teachers and in, you've been producing these videos for YouTube, your investigations that teachers are sleeping on that maybe they don't even know about. Those are the types of things that get me fired up and excited when I find something and I'm like, and you, what you just finished describing, it fills a gap that wasn't previously there or it does something that was previously there and it does it better. You know, or in a different way. Um, what what is there? Is there something out there that that isn't getting the hype it deserves? I'm going to answer the question with a category. I'll, I'll give you some sure. programs, but <laughs> sounds good. What I've seen is that there's been a massive emphasis on what I would refer to as essentially the front end of a lesson sequence. So I I plan using the five E's lesson sequence and. To me, the majority of the tools that are being used, the majority of the strategies are all about the engage, explore, explain phase. And what's being left almost completely out is the elaborate phase when we're actually getting students to create and make things mm. with technology. And that's where I still see a huge area of improvement. You know, um, that we're not just doing these traditional assessments now. We're also taking, you know, the, what students are learning and asking students to create something meaningful, apply some 21st century skills, you know, to make stuff with technology. So I have a bunch of programs that I love for that. I love Soundtrap for podcast production for students because nice. you can collaborate on the cloud with Soundtrap. And I, you know, pod to me, a podcast project is that is the project of this historical moment. You know, it's a difficult project to do actually in person because it's very difficult to do audio production. As you guys know, when mm. you have sound going on, I round up podcast yeah. club at my school and it was so difficult, but Hey, everybody's at home. 
what a perfect format, you know, for at home exactly. learning. <laughs> um, so, you know, I love that for that type of project for right now. I'm a, I'm a huge Canva EDU or Adobe Spark post, you know, give me either fan for graphic design and making videos and, and pseudo web page type projects as a way to show learning book creator, you know, is well known, but I, you know, I yes. love, love it. the open canvas and the ability to integrate multimedia and make something that again, could not be made without technology. So I, that's, where I still see a big area of growth, you know, educators having students create things with technology and not just having them, you know, do a quiz or write an essay. I use, I use Canva every day and I'm still blown away that there are teachers that don't know what Canva is or, or that it exists. Like, and as soon as I, I love showing it to people because as soon as they see it and they go, they just, their minds explode with all the things that like it's it's making such like um previously more complex graphic design concepts just so much easier than they've ever been um i canva's amazing and like i said i use it i use it every day i i actually in in um one of the keynotes i give i talk about teachers needing to use and learn graphic design i think it's a skill that can just be translated to tons of other, it's transferable to tons of things. Um, uh, Canva's amazing. I, I, I think you're dead on with uh, with things like that. I, I'd love to see more teachers um, use tools like that to create content and then transfer that knowledge to students. I, I think it'd be super powerful. We're in the moment for it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if you have something on the back end that you're backwards planning from, then everything else you do is so much more meaningful too, right? It's like a domino effect once you set that piece up, but without that piece, it everything becomes so much harder, you know, without a meaningful way to show learning and creativity apps. That's to me, that's a big part of the answer. So how can our listeners connect with you online, uh, maybe even lead us to th this amazing YouTube channel that you have to be able to go ahead and, and, and find those uh, awesome instructional videos, Sam? Sure. You can find me on my website at newedtechclassroom.com. And on YouTube, my channel is called New Ed Tech Classroom. If you just searched it in YouTube, you'd find it. I also have a student tutorial channel on YouTube uh, that's totally separate. So it's COPA compliant and that's called New Ed Tech Classroom Student Tutorials. Um, oh, that's so that's the easiest way to find me. Yeah. Um, on YouTube. And then I'm on Twitter at New Ed Tech Class and I'm now on TikTok. So I'm trying to put out yeah, regular <laughs> short tech tip videos on <laughs> TikTok and I'm on Pinterest and Facebook and, uh, you know, all the social media accounts. But yeah, if you search New Ed Tech Classroom in any of those places, you'd be able to find me. Amazing. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. Sam, Carrie, thank you so very much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, guys. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal for the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. 
anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.